You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, it is great to be with those of you who are worshiping in the cameo as well as those of you that are worshiping online. And uh, we hope that all of you have an encounter with God, whether you're a longtime Christ follower, you know, just trying to figure out if God is for real and legit. And we've been studying through the New Testament book of Revelation. And John received this revelation and part of it made him cry deeply. And for some of us men, it's kind of hard for us to emotionally express ourselves sometimes, isn't it? It's kind of like when this wife sent a romantic text to her husband, and here's what it read like. It said, if you're sleeping, send me your dreams. If you're laughing, send me your smile. If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. Isn't that romantic? You know what the husband replied back on a text message? He said, I'm using the bathroom. Please advise. (laughs) So I know it's kind of hard for us guys sometimes to express ourselves and our emotions. But um, there are a lot of us who have had a hard time showing our emotions. But when we do cry, it's something significant. And in the passage that we're going to be studying today, John is hopeless and he's weeping bitterly. And you got to understand that this is the same John that walked with Jesus, was one of Jesus' best friends, that saw Jesus do miracles, yet still John was hopeless. He saw Jesus risen from the dead, yet he was still hopeless and weeping bitterly. And can I ask you today, do you ever feel a sense of hopelessness and a sense of despair and you think things are never going to get better? Have you asked yourself in recent days, is this pandemic ever going to end? Is my personal physical health ever going to get better? Am I ever going to get over this depression or am I ever going to meet that special someone that I'm supposed to get married to? Or am I ever going to like get the job and the career that I really long for? God, I'm praying to you, but I'm not hearing you say anything or do anything to help me in my life. And we can be led towards despair. Some of us think, man, is our country going to implode because nobody's tolerant of each other anymore? What's going on? Lord, And so I think that there's a time where a lot of us feel like just weeping and experiencing the bitterness of what we have and are going through. And in the midst of John's hopelessness and weeping, he's told to stop weeping. Now, he's not told to stop weeping because weeping is wrong. It's completely appropriate. In fact, if you look through the New Testament, you know, you would see in John's gospel, he wrote the shortest verse in the Bible where it said, Jesus wept, right? Um, Jesus wept because it's appropriate to weep through certain things. And, you know, you may have noticed that I was gone part of the summer. I've had a, a, a pretty rough year and a half walking with a lot of people through a lot of very painful things, through death, through despair, through sickness, and I didn't realize the toll it was taking on me. Um, And, you know, to make matters worse, I felt bad or guilty about me feeling a sense of depression because I know so many people in our church that have lost so much more than what I have. 
And also I had written this book on emotional health and now I'm feeling depressed and I'm supposed to be the one that's okay because I wrote a book on this, you know? Well, one Saturday, um, I was feeling a sense of despair and I, honestly throughout the whole thing was, you know, considering not pastoring anymore, quitting. And I was doing some housework with my wife one Saturday and I felt emotionally paralyzed. You ever felt that? I just sat down in a chair staring at a wall. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work around the house anymore. I just sat in the chair and stared at a wall. I couldn't do anything. It's paralyzed. And then finally, I let Jeannie come talk to me about it. And she prayed over me. And I just wept there in the chair over all the things that I had had to deal with over the past year and a half. And she says to me, you are not defeated I thought to myself, shut up. That's my line. I'm supposed to tell people that, you know. In case you're new here, I wrote a book entitled, I Am Not Defeated. But I knew she was right. And I wish I knew how to describe this part, but sometimes I feel what you're feeling, not just individually, but as a group. And it hurts me when you hurt. And when I went to my Christian therapist about what I was going through and what I was dealing with, he said, Doug, there's only one Messiah who has the capacity to deal with and bear the burden of the hurt of the people. And I knew what he was getting at on that. And so I took a month away to mourn and to weep and to recharge. And my therapist helped me to see that my time off wouldn't help unless I was willing to make adjustments to my schedule and adjustments to the the type of work I was doing all the time. And so I made some adjustments and I thank the Lord for our staff team here at City Tribe. I'm thankful for Pastor Lee who took a lot of the teaching burden while I was out. Also, thank the Lord for Joe Mena who's taken on much of the pastoral care work here in our church. Would you guys join me in thanking our staff for stepping up and really helping out there? You know? So... With the help of my therapist and, of course, our staff and my friends and, of course, my wife, I'm feeling a lot better now. And so you guys are going to have to deal with me a lot longer, unfortunately for you, but the Lord willing, I'll be able to continue doing this. And I, you know, I said all that to say that there is an appropriate time to stop and mourn and cry and you guys have experienced a lot over the past year and a half, and it may be time for us to do some mourning to lean into the pain because the path to healing is not around the pain, but it's actually through it. But what I want you to understand is, is that weeping by itself is incomplete. There's more to it than that. And the time will come when God may say to you, like he said to John, who was not only mourning and weeping because he was in prison and because his people were being oppressed, and he was too, but because of uh, what was going on in his reality. And so I want to submit one simple idea um, today, and it has to do with weeping. It's weep, wait, and worship. Weep, wait, and worship. Would you say that with me out loud? Ready, here we go. Weep, wait, and worship. You can get through whatever you're going through if you can learn to weep, wait, and worship. And so I wanna go back to Revelation 5, 5, where God told John, um, he said, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. 
Now look, when, I say, when it says there, stop weeping, don't misunderstand that. Don't misunderstand it to say, oh, you know, Pastor Doug was just saying that from the Bible that you don't have to go to therapy and you don't have to mourn your losses, but that you just pray more and worship God. It's not pray more and worship God and delete therapy. It's therapy and worship God. It's not either or, it's both and. You see, and if you misinterpret that, and if you leave here and you say, Pastor said, uh, Doug said that we don't have to go to therapy, we just, then all the fleas of a million camels will nest on your armpits, right? Because we know the path through this is to weep, to wait, and to worship. Those three things, right? That's what we do. So today I'm gonna show you three reasons why we can weep, wait, and worship. And the first one is simply this. He is our worthy comforter. He's the worthy comforter. Got this from Revelation chapter five, verses two through four, where the scripture says, and I saw a strong angel. Like angels, I thought all of them were strong. This one's evidently like the angel on steroids who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Now, when it talks about, I want to pick up on a couple of things from these verses. One is that it says that John was weeping bitterly. When it says he's weeping bitterly, it's actually using the same word that described Jesus when he was weeping over Jerusalem. So it is not just a little tear, you know, in his beard. You know, it's not like just a little leaking of testosterone in the corner of his eye. It is a heavy sobbing where his shoulders are going up and down. I mean, he is undone here. And why is he so upset? Well, it's not just because of the persecution and circumstance in life. It's because of a scroll. And the scroll's important and no one can open it. So this scroll is kind of like when you get a letter addressed to you, you know, addressed to you, nobody else is supposed to open it or it's called what? Mail fraud, right? No, no one else is supposed to open your stuff. Well, this is like on an exponentially larger scale, bigger deal. This scroll had very important information and all of creation is longing for it to be opened and no one could open it. And as I read this text over and over again over the past couple of weeks, I found like a lull in the text, like a stop, like a waiting. So John is weeping and now he has to wait. A lot of times where we're in pain, there's something wrong and we start weeping, we want it to end. And there was not an immediate end. There was a time of waiting. And to get through whatever we're going through, we have to weep and we have to wait. That's the hard part. But look at what happened next in Revelation 5, 5 through 7. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. He had seven horns, and strange looking lamb, seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Now let's look at a couple of things in that particular verse. It describes, it uses these metaphors to describe Jesus here, and he looks like a lion. And he looks like a lamb, but the lion part and then the seven horns part represents his perfect power. 
Let me illustrate what I mean here. Is that when you go to the doctor, you want a nice, empathetic doctor, right? Who has good bedside manner. But really more than that, you want a doctor that knows what he's doing. You want a doctor that has the skill and the power to help. Else you'd just go to your Aunt Bessie or something to get help, right? You want someone who is nice and has the power to help. And that's Jesus. He's not just the lion with seven horns, but he's also the lamb. He empathizes with you as the lamb. And as the lamb, that represents his sacrifice for you and I on the cross when he was slaughtered on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he's not just a God or a leader that stays up in a cushy office in an ivory tower, but he understands our reality. That's why the text says that he has seven eyes and the sevenfold spirit of God. That's not literal. That is symbolic of his perfect discernment his perfect discernment. You know why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged? He says that because you and I don't have all the information with which to judge. When we're trying to judge another person, we don't know their heart, we don't know their motives, we don't know what they've been through, we don't know what they did right and what they did wrong all the time, but Jesus knows everything every one of us have done. He knows our heart motivation and he's the only one who has that data, that information about all things in order to judge. So here's another reason we can weep, wait, and worship. This is number two is because he treasures his people. He treasures his people. Let me show you this in Revelation chapter five, eight, and nine. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a, get this, a new song with these words. Here's how it went. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has, look at this next word, ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So I want to show you a few ways that he treasures us. One, he treasures our prayers. You know that when you are pouring out your heart with weeping to the Lord in prayer, he treasures that. You know that when you're praying to him and you feel like you're just talking into the air and it's an exercise of futility, but you go ahead and pray it anyway as an exercise of faith, he treasures your prayers. This passage says that your prayers, my prayers, when we offer them in brokenness to him in quiet and secret place, we, we pray to him it is like a sweet-smelling incense to God. That's your prayers, and receive that as encouragement the next time you're in prayer and you're not feeling anything with your emotions. But it, the, the passage also says he loves our songs. He loves our songs. You know, I don't sing very well. And when I sing out loud, people need to put in their earmuffs or whatever, you know? But he loves my song. He loves your song if you don't think you can sing very well. 
He loves your songs. When you sing in church and these musicians up here, they sound really good, but they drown the rest of us out, right? You know, uh, he loves your songs when you're in the car or when you're in the shower or when you're working around the house or when you're working around the yard. He loves the songs that you sing to him. And that's why you often start to sense his presence when you're singing along to worship songs on your favorite worship Spotify Spotify playlist. But look at this next thing. He treasures us enough that he ransomed us. What does it mean to ransom something? Well, we think about ransom associated with kidnapping, don't we? It's a, a parent's worst nightmare that one of our kids would get you know, kidnapped and then some criminal would charge us money, a ransom, to get them back. We have all been kidnapped by the nightmare of sin. And Jesus paid the ransom to get our freedom, see? And it would have been easy if he could have just paid with money, but he paid with his own blood when he was slaughtered and killed on the cross for you and I. Look at this next thing. He treasures our diversity, our diversity. I was interested in the work of a scholar named Dr. Lamin Sine, and he's a scholar from Gambia who taught at Harvard and Yale. He wrote this book entitled, Whose Religion Is It Anyway?, And the reason he wrote the book is that he noticed a lot of uninformed critics of Christianity always associated Christianity with white Western religion. And that's not true. The data doesn't bear that out. Christianity, according to Dr. Sine, is thriving in Africa, in Asia, in Central and South America. And most other religions were started in a geographic area and people of that ethnicity are the primary constituents of the other world religions. But it's not true with Christianity. It began in the Middle East with ethnic Jews. God sent them out all over the world. And now it's spread. It's the most global, most diverse form of spirituality in the world, see? God loves all his kids. He loves his black kids, his brown kids, his Asian kids. He loves his white kids. And if you've ever been made to feel less than because of your color, the color of your skin, that thought did not come from God because he loves all the beautiful colors of his kids. But we can also weep, wait and worship because of number three. Look at this one. Because he will be worshiped on a colossal scale. And it's hard for you and I to understand the scale on which he will be worshiped as we see it in Revelation chapter five. Look at the next verse, verses 10 through 13. It says, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will get this part. They will reign on the earth. More on that in a minute. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne to the lamb forever and ever. We will reign on the earth. That's one of the things I want to point out is it will reign. What does that mean? What that means is in the future, those of us that have believed in Jesus, he will reward us. Those of us that have faithfully served him. You know, when you sin, it's not that you're not God's kid anymore. 
It's that you're giving up an inheritance that he wants to give you that's better in the future. And we will reign on the earth. So when you think about the afterlife, the future, and heaven, don't think clouds and harps. You've got to think earth. He will remake the earth. We will be here in what's called the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. And you'll be given, if you've been faithful and served him, a portion of the land, a portion of the earth to manage. That's the way we were created back in Genesis to be, you know, in charge of to manage the creation. So think about that just for a minute. You reigning on the earth, not as some strange, mean, narcissistic dictator, but someone who's working perfectly within your passions and giftings that God has given to you, serving and managing the earth in humility and love, service, see? Finally fulfilling your ultimate purpose in eternity, see? Have you ever met someone that says, I love my job. You want to smack them, right? They say, I love, I never have a day of work in my life because I just go out and every day it's like eating candy. I just love what I do. I go out and I have a good time all day long and then I just go to bed. Well, you know, people who left their jobs here on earth are catching a glimpse of what the kingdom's gonna be like in the future in Revelation 5, see? But can I tell you this? People who love their jobs here are gonna love it exponentially more in the future kingdom when you're reigning on the earth because you're gonna be operating in all the strengths that God gave you and you're gonna be realizing your absolute full potential at that time. So I had an idea about this. I'm like, Lord, if I'm faithful to you and you're gonna reward me by allowing me to manage a part of the earth, Lord, I'm talking to him, I want a tropical island. Will you let me manage a tropical island with all these fish in the clear water? And I could even talk to the fish. How awesome would that be, right? And then it's like, then I had a vision of what I'm going to look like in the future kingdom there, right? That's what it's going to be. Jason Momoa, get out of the way. Here comes Aqua Doug. I'm on the way, right? Aqua Doug. It's going to be amazing. But look, think about it a minute. What's God going to give you someday when you're perfectly fulfilled in what you're doing? And that's why there's a connection between reigning on the earth and worshiping God. Because someday, some of you who love your jobs, you say, man, I thank God I get to do this every day. Well, can you imagine then in the future when you're like, thank you, God. I never knew it could be like this. I thought I liked my job on the earth, and this is just amazing. Thank you. How could you ever let me have this? Thank you so much. You let me enjoy this. And you think about all of God's kids over all of history. You know, we live in pretty comfortable times compared to what some Christ followers have lived through, right? They've lived through pandemics that are worse than ours, like the plague and stuff like that. They've lived through persecution, many of them. They've lived through marginalization and disease and depression and all kinds of difficult things. And can you imagine all of us get there? Some who have suffered way more than we have, and now they're finally able to live in their ultimate purpose. They're like, thank it. We're all just like, thank you, Jesus. 
that we get to not only experience this, but we get to do stuff that we just love to do. And the scale of this worship encounter of Revelation 5 is going to be thousands and millions and millions, every creature of every sort on the earth. And there'll be no mass there in the worship encounter because they won't be needed, right? Everything will be made new. And if you're not a fan of crowds, you'll be okay with this crowd because not only will you be healed of everything, but you'll also trust everyone there because everyone's on your side. And even, you know, and then you won't be paying so much attention to people all around you as you will him because you'll be captivated by him and it's going to be a massive gathering of all God's kids. I want to give you a sense of the scale of this worship encounter. So I looked up the largest gatherings in human history. And you know, we're starving for human gatherings these days, aren't we? Because we've had to quarantine so much and all of that. And I want to take you back to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953. Check this out. Over 3 million British people gathered to coronate their beloved leader, Queen Elizabeth, who's the longest living monarch in British history, the longest serving female head of state in world history. And that was her coronation, a big deal. And then there was the Chicago Cubs parade that happened in 2016 where, get this, five million people converged on Chicago to celebrate a long-awaited World Series win, the Cubs curse. You know, it was called the curse of the billy goat that lasted for 71 years when finally Cubs fans were able to say, Cubs won the World Series. Cubs win. Cubs win. You know, it was a big deal. But then there was when Pope Francis visited the Philippines. And there were six million Filipinos that showed up to see Pope Francis there. And he gave a message to help people through natural disasters. And then he gave a message of preserving the environment, preserving the physical creation. And then the last one was an event that I didn't know about. And this was 2019 Kumela in India, where, get this, 120 million people gathered in India. And you know why? They gathered to go into water to celebrate the cleansing and the washing away of sins. So think about these events for just a minute. The largest gatherings of human beings in history were to celebrate the coronation of a beloved leader, a beloved queen, to celebrate a long-awaited victory or a win, to think about the restoration of the physical environment, the earth, and to ask for the cleansing of sins. Doesn't that just speak to the soul cravings within all human beings? We all long for those things, those four things. And we all long for them because they were placed in our hearts. Eternity has been placed in the hearts of human beings, according to Solomon. And we long for those things to happen someday. And look, someday when we encounter him in this Revelation 5 worship experience, we will coronate 
a king that's way better than any king or queen that's lived on this earth. And we will celebrate a long-awaited victory that we've waited for longer than Cubs fans. And also we'll celebrate the complete healing of the environment. And we'll celebrate that our sins have been completely cleansed. Even the ripple effects of sin in the world, all things will be made new. And because of this, the text says the 24 elders fell down. Why'd they fall down? Did a televangelist come by and smack them on the forehead and knock them over? No. They fell down. Because when they got in his presence, it dawned on them how much they needed his grace. When you get before him and this massive crowd and you realize how big he is, you realize, whoa, and I've sinned. When you get in his presence, I assure you, you're not thinking about how big you are or how cool you are or how smart you are. It's like going to the Rockies and thinking you're something big, right? And you get before him and you realize, I need grace. You know, a couple of years ago, a friend invited me to his church to to talk and they have a lot of drug addicts that are recovering drug addicts at their church. I can assure you when you go there, those recovering drug addicts, they worship with passion. Some of them lift their hands. Some of them fall down to the ground. You know why? Because recovering drug addicts know they need a lot of grace. See? Can I tell you? Your capacity to understand how much you need grace is correlated to your capacity to break through into an encounter of worship with him today. Do you know that? Your ability or capacity to understand how much you need grace is directly related to your ability to break through into worship as we stand up and worship him here in just a minute. So would you stand up with me before we start to sing? And here's what I want you to know today is that if you've lost someone or you lost a job or you lost a relationship or someone died that you love, you can come before him and you can weep and you can wait and you can worship. If you've sinned and you keep feeling the guilt and shame pile on, you can come before him today and you can weep and you can wait before him and you can worship him. If you've been hurt in some way by other people or if you've been hurt by the intolerance of the political left or the right, then you can come before him and you can say, I'm gonna weep, I'm gonna wait going to worship you. And you can say, look, Jesus, I know I need your grace. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I've done some jacked up things in my past and I need his grace. It's not a hard equation for me. And so if you'd like, you can come and kneel and pray as we sing. If you want to stay where you're at or you want to come and kneel, if you want to put your hands up, if you want to sit down, if you want to do a cartwheel, whatever. But let's try to acknowledge how much we need grace and try the best we know how to get a glimpse of Revelation 5 and the scale of his wonder. 
listening to him.
If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And when, look, look, when we're connecting with that other realm in and through worship, it reveals to our hearts that we were made for something far greater than where we're at right now, you know? And look, here's what I know happens in every one of the services is that some of you logged in online or you're watching there, or you're here in the cameo, and you wouldn't identify as a Christ follower, but you are sensing something that is from another realm and you want more of it. Well, there's no religious hoops to jump through and there's no magic prayer to say, but you just kind of in your heart, you just say to him, look, God, I know I've screwed some stuff up and sinned, but I choose to believe today that Jesus ransomed me. I've been kidnapped by sin and he paid the ransom 
so that I could be saved because he loves me as his kid. So Jesus, we thank you for all that you're doing among us. And we've got this fresh awareness of the future. And we don't want to miss out on the great rewards of managing the earth, reigning on the earth under your authority and under the umbrella of your love. Thank you for the way you've been revealing yourself to us experientially all day long. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.